0: Welcome to the Sunday Tennis Q&A with high-performance coach Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally respected author and educator and is regarded as one of the leading junior development coaches in the world. Join Chris Weekly for the most intelligent tennis talk show on the planet as Chris answers questions from his audience around the world. And now, here's Chris.
1: Hey guys, what's up? It's Chris, Sunday night, live, Q&A. I'm here with my buddy Sammy. Sammy, what's up, buddy? Say hello. Yeah, he's not saying much today. Sammy, you want to say hi to people around the world? Say hello. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, how's everyone doing? It's good to see you. Guys, welcome to the show. It is episode eight. I can't believe we've done already this many episodes, but I'm going to try to get a show going every every week actually next week I have to travel so we may not be able to do the Sunday night show next week so I apologize about that but we should be able to do the reality show so we try to do two shows every week we do the Sunday night talk show where I try to answer questions from you guys around the world and then we have uh, my reality show where we follow my work on the court and my life and career and things like that so we're we are we'll try to get at least one show going next week. So how's everybody doing? Do you have a good weekend of teaching? Any coaches out there? I see we have my Padel friends watching. That's cool. I love Padel. Padel is such a great sport, growing fast. And Bettina Bungie is watching. Thank you for waving. Appreciate it, Bettina. And Kamal Sadewo Ratmano is waving. Thank you, Kamal. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to get settled in here. I got my trusty racket today. So if we have any, any technical questions, I am ready. I am ready with my racket for any technical questions from you guys. I know that was a request from previous shows. And I would, you know, I always like to... Talk about technique. Bettina says, just popped up, I love your dogs. Yeah, thanks. Sammy, you are the star of the show. You want to say hi? Yeah. This is my boy, Sammy, and he's an American hairless terrier. There's not too many dogs like Sammy around. He's got no hair, and one of the things that happens is in the summer, we have to put sunblock on him. He'll actually get pink no, oh, give me a kiss, kiss, kiss for the show, he'll get pink in the summer. And in the winter, he he gets so cold in the winter, he's very unhappy right now. He's extremely irri- irritable, I would say, because it's so cold and he has no he has no fur coat. So, yeah. And the thing is about Sammy is he doesn't like to wear any clothes. He doesn't like to have a jacket or anything like that. So it's tough in the winter. Let's see. Guys, do we have any questions on the board here? I was hoping to talk some technique tonight. I'm looking forward to talking maybe some tactics, state of the game. A little sad for Andy Murray, for example, with his hip. Hip problems, guys. We've got to watch out. When we're teaching technique, we have to be very careful with the hip, especially with the open stance forehand. A lot of trainers and... Physical therapists are worried about the hip and especially vis-a-vis the open stance. So that's something that's been on my mind this week. I feel very badly for Andy and it makes me really concerned when I see my young kids taking a lot of extreme open stances and doing it too much. You know, obviously they need to use it when they have to, but I prefer they, they take some load off of that hip. And try to step in a little more when they can. So, I'm watching some of my players this week, and I got Andy in the back of my mind. I'm like, man, gotta be careful. I gotta make sure these kids are not taking too many open stances too frequently. And that is something that that is a big concern. Or they can do a lot of prehab, you know, but a lot of kids don't do prehab. A lot of kids are just, you know, firing that open stance everywhere. Maybe it's, it's an extreme open stance, and then they have a lot of problems. Potentially down the road, you just don't know. That's the thing. It's like a big question mark. It's a big mystery. We just don't know, you know, who's gonna have an issue or not. And so I think you better to be safer than sorry, and teach a little more neutral and and closed, you know. All right, see, so we've got a lot of people signing in here, guys. This is my Sunday night program where I try to answer all your tennis questions, and also we have a nice community of intelligent tennis learners where we share ideas so i appreciate you guys putting up your comments and letting me know what your thoughts are about tennis this week i love to talk technique i love to talk spanish tennis i love to talk pretty much anything about tennis i'm happy to discuss it and let's see what else i didn't really have a a fixed topic on the program i was hoping that i could answer some of your questions i know a lot of you had questions about the show that we did two reality shows where I was live on the court this weekend, and I know a bunch of you had questions about that, so maybe we could dig into some of those technical questions from the show. And I had a few topics on my mind. I was thinking about the show, and I was like, man, I always have something on my mind, but tonight I, I, I feel like I have nothing extremely burning inside of me that I need to get out like there's no rant coming not that I know of sometimes there is a rant I don't realize it but so there's no I have no rant that I want to throw on to you guys but I I do want to dig into some technical work and I was thinking about the future of, of tennis and maybe we could talk about the future of tennis technique I mean technically the future of tennis technique that's something that interests me but let's see what we got what do we got I see we already have some questions on the board. A lot of people tuning in. I see some new faces. Thank you, guys. Thank you for waving. We have Drexler, Ingua, Dai. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Thank you for waving. And we have some, my Padel f- friends. A lot of Padel friends. Thank you for waving. Patricia Ramirez is waving. Thank you. Igor, Igor is watching. Hey, Igor's a regular. Hello, Igor. Thank you. Let me know if you have any questions. I particularly like to help families and kids, parents of kids. I work with a lot of young children. So if you have any questions about your son or daughter's games, let me know. I'd be happy to talk about technical development, especially for young children. I think that's one of my specialties. Alejandro Mauricio Fuentes is watching. Pablo Bramwell is waving. Thank you, Pablo. Nelson Patricio Encalada, thank you for waving, I appreciate it. Jim Kane is my buddy, a regular on the program. Jim, do you have a question about technique? Let's see. Also, I missed one quote there. Bettina, thank you so much. Thank you for for admiring my doggy. That's Sammy, he's the co-host of the program, but typically he just sleeps while I talk, you know. I'm carrying the load here every Sunday night. Thanks a lot, Sammy. I mean, I teach 20-plus hours on, on a weekend, and I come home and Sammy can't even help me with the program. What do you think about that? But let's see what else we got going on here. Jim Kane says, Just watched a close-up view of Nadal's grip on the serve. Looks like a pinky finger halfway off. Thoughts on continental serving grip. I think that Nadal is quite extreme on his grip with the serve he may have he may have moved that even a little more extreme to the backhand I'd have to check online so I don't want to just you know I guess I can give my opinion on it but just from some of the shots that I've seen of late I think he's quite far over and that's one of the reasons why he has a really good slice he gets a really good spin on the on the serve but does his pinky come off I'm not sure you might you're probably right Jim if he does if, if some players do that like you know you have uh my my pink, my pinky on when I serve is about halfway off, so everyone's a little different some players choke up a little I don't like choking up too much because I feel like it limits your well it limits the length of the of the racket which reduces power and also can limit like what you do you can make with your wrist so you know I would try to have the pinky at the bottom. You know, so there's not a lot of room. What I get worried about is when kids choke up and they have, you guys see that, when they have a lot of room at the bottom like that. Reminds me of Filipino stick fighting. I, I took some Filipino stick fighting. You know, I'm a big martial artist, so... Uh, in, in Filipino stick fighting, you're actually... You're supposed to hold the baton or the stick with the, the the bottom sticking out so you can use it to strike people, but... Not in tennis, guys. In tennis... You gotta keep that pinky down near the bottom, and so you get more more range of motion and with your wrist and so you can use maximum the maximum lever you want to have that long lever the higher up you go the more the the more you're gonna reduce your power so you know but jim i I don't think if the pinky's falling off i I don't think it should come off completely, but I think it should be at the bottom. Does that make sense? Send me a follow up if you have one. Bettina says, I like one-handed backhands. <laughs> well, I teach a lot of one-handed backhands. Have you seen the show? If you go to my YouTube channel, you'll see that I have a number of one-hand conversions going on right now. We're featuring a few of my players who went from two to one, which is a, quite a difficult change to make. And, and it's uh, tough for the kids, especially in the early going where if they play in the tournament the kids start to play heavy to their backhand and they have they they can struggle with high top spin but you know it that that's an interesting topic when when to change i've written a lot about that i have some good articles posted at prodigymaker.com which is my blog prodigymaker.com you can check that out i've got a one featured article where i talk about how to make the change from two hands to one and what, what to look for, what are the advantages and disadvantages and things like that. It's a really good resource, all free, free for people out there, if anyone, if anyone's interested in that. Bettina says, I feel players should come in more. <laughs> well, we can talk about that. We've been having a lot of debates about that, Bettina, on on some of the Facebook coaching groups. And, and I think as far as coming in, it's a huge debate right now, I mean we you know post a few of your thoughts here and i'll and i'll I'll comment, but a lot of coaches think, for example, that players are not as adept at volleying, so that's why they're not as successful at the net anymore, you know, but a lot of coaches also feel that the game is slower, and the players are hitting with better spins, so it's harder to come in so there's this big debate in coaching should we? get the kids attacking the net more, like in the good good old days. You know, I grew up a servant volleyer, so I'm, this is something that's near and dear to my heart, you know, and and now as I'm getting older, I'm trying to play a bit more all-court. After so many years studying in Spain, you know, it's sort of rubbed off on me, and I'm I'm playing a much more all-court now. I, th- I think I'm a better player as an all-court player than when I was limited by just uh, being able to attack, but... It's a really good debate. Should we be teaching players to come in more? I'd be happy to dig into that debate if we have more interest in that, guys. Let me know. Let's see. But Bettina, do you think the one-handed back end is better than the two? Because, yeah, there's been some top players with one, but you don't see, percentage-wise, you don't see as many on tour. I think it's probably, I don't know. 10%, 20%, 10 20% maybe 25% max with the men with the women it's less probably less than 10% i don't know the exact percentages but you don't see it very very often with the women and why is that you know the two-hander is is the is such a popular shot these days you know and i think there's some clear advantages to the two-hander in that respect you know especially with the return of serve i think the two-hander gives you that extra support players are serving so big nowadays. That's one one observation. But Paul Zubarev says, Hi, thanks for waving. Bill Patton is watching. What's up, Bill? Hey, Bill, guess what I did? I wrote an, an article for the New York Times about cheating and how we got to stop it. And I sent it into the op-ed department trying to get that published. So they'll let me know in the next couple of days. We'll see if I sneak it in there. I guess it's very hard to get in the op- op-ed op pages at the New York Times, but I thought it was a pretty good article, and I-, I wrote it fairly quickly and and put some good thoughts together, and we'll see if they accept it. It would be good to get that out there, and if, if New York Times doesn't want it, uh, I will publish it in another... Newspaper or I'll I'll, I'll share it online, so we'll see. They're gonna let me know in the the next few days, so we'll see Bettina says best serving grip ever Stefan Eberg. Yeah, Stefan was one of my idols when I was growing up and I really Copied his game when I was younger and he had that extreme backhand grip on the kick serve exactly right and What a great net player he was right? You don't see too many guys playing like that anymore. But maybe it'll come back. That's one of the things I was thinking about for the future of tennis. Maybe it'll come back. All right. Jeremy Malthay, my friend, my online buddy, is uh, on the program. And he, I think he's going to follow up with some of his technical questions. Let me know, Jeremy. I know you had some questions from the, the show that we did on Saturday with some of my players live on court. Jeremy says... I think it's even more important to be able to take the ball on the rise when you have a one-handed backhand. I mean, it's important for both guys. You got to be able to take the ball on the rise. You can't make it at the high level without a good on the rise backhand or forehand or anything. You know, you you have to be able to take the ball on the rise. And with the one-hander, yeah, with with young kids, I remember I was interviewing Albert Costa in Spain for my, my book. I was doing some research for my book, which is The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. And I inter- interviewed Albert Costa, and he was telling me how, you know, his one, with his one-handed backhand, it didn't really click for him. It didn't really, he didn't really take off until he could learn to step in and take heavy topspin on the rise and not get pushed back. He said that was a big turning point for him. And I think a lot of one-handed players feel that way. You know y you, you have to be able to hold your ground and and take take those big topspin balls without uh with with no fear and without losing too much territory so yeah I, I agree with you there Jim Kane says Bill Patton's in the house look forward to your contribution <laughs> yeah thanks bill feel free post your post your comments. This is our intelligent round table. I don't know if it's a round table, but we have a you know a, we try to have, uh, we try to pride ourselves on having intelligent conversations about tennis and technique and tactics, and, and that's the name of the game here. Spencer Weinberg is waving. What's up, Spencer? How are you, buddy? Anang is watching. Thank you for waving. We've got some new viewers. Thank you, guys. Paolo Melgarejo is waving. Hello, Paolo. How are you? I think I missed a comment. I hope my feed didn't break down again. Man, that's been happening a lot lately. I feel like my comments may have gone down here because a few went up and then I missed them. Guys, can you post a comment and see if it comes through? And I'll check it. Oh, no. Yeah, I lost you guys. So I'm going to have to restart this feed. I'm sorry, everybody. Oh, here we go. No, we're good. Amazing. Nice. Technology works. been having so much trouble with technology lately. Spencer says, with the game being so physical, the two-hander is great for an open stance on the run backhand and quickly after recovery. Yeah, let's talk about the future. Guys, does anyone want to talk about the future of the game? Do you think it's two hands on the backhand? Do you think it's one hand? Do you think it's a forehand? I, I have a theory that the futures for a lot of players will be double forehands. So you have a, a forehand, a symmetrical forehand on both sides. I posted some thoughts on some Facebook groups about that. I've been I've been working on an article about that. I wrote a big article for tennisplayer.net, which is a magazine, a technical magazine that's published by John Yandell in California. And I have an article that's just been sitting on John's desk, and he hasn't published it in the last few months. But it's all about the future of tennis. And one of the points that I make is I think that we may see more, I would like to see more uh, symmetrical forehand. So you have a, a modern, whipping, uh, semi-Western forehand on both sides. And I theorize about how you can sort of, make the grip change effectively and how you hold the racket like there's going to be new ways that you can hold the racket and then you can have basically a very balanced ground stroke game uh, for the body because you know tennis everyone always talks about how tennis is imbalanced as a sport and, and it you know it's not it's not good for the body physically because of that imbalance and i think that's one way we could we could solve that by teaching tennis more symmetrically Starting with the ground strokes, and also I have a theory that I would like to see more dual hand servers, you know, I would like to see, I call them ambi-servers, ambidextrous servers. You know, I would like to see more players who can learn to serve with both hands, but I, that is a more complex and more difficult than playing with two forehands, for example. I think playing with two forehands is much easier to learn than, than two serves. Two serves is probably going to be a bit more rare, but I think we could do it more. For example, maybe focusing on the slicer so you have a good slice on the ad court and a a good slice on the deuce as, as a compliment. All right, Brody Quill is watching. Thanks for waving. Guys, it's kind of a chill show. Let me know if you have any technical questions. I'll be happy to rap about the future of technique in tennis if you'd like, if you're interested. Also... There's been a lot of discussion about on, on, on Facebook with some of, some, of my, some of my posts. We've been talking about red, orange, green, and we've been talking about the games-based approach recently. We're doing a lot of talk about game-based approach. We've been talking a lot about the, the myth of the first four shots. Well, a lot of people are telling me it's not a myth, but it seems like a very popular topic on Facebook, so we could get into that as well. I've been posting about that and sort of stirring things up a little bit. Where I, I, I think that that the the first four shots data might not be accurate. I, I don't know for sure. I, I, I'm happy to be convinced that it is accurate on the pro tour. I certainly don't think we have enough data on the from the junior tour and from the young age divisions, like from eight to twelve, to make some to make good conclusions. But That's been uh, on my mind as something that I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated by that debate. I'm fascinated by that research. And it's not just that I have questions about the data, but I also have questions about the recommendations for how we should coach young children. So that's a very interesting topic for me. And we've we've been talking about that on the show the last few weeks. So let me know what's on your mind. If you have any parents out there, I would, you know, I love to help parents with children. That's my passion. That's one of the main drivers for the show and one of the main drivers for ProdigyMaker.com, which is my blog, and also for the YouTube channel and my online school, which is at clta.teachable.com. I want to help families around the world train their kids better. That's my main Focus is on junior development. I like to help parents. I, I have a, lot, a strong following of parents who are not just in New York here with me, but they're all over, and they email me their video clips of their children, and I, I try to help them with their development and give them exercises, and, and we try to track their progress and make sure that their kids are developing, in, in my opinion, what is a world-class game, especially world-class technique, that they're on track, so I love doing that kind of work. Let me know if you you have any questions about your kids' games. And let me know if you're tuning in from overseas, internationally. I love to get uh, the international perspective. That that to me is is very interesting when we have a discussion and we have comments from around the world. All right. Checking in on the board here. I hope my board is updating. Is everyone excited about the Australian? I know all my students are excited for the Australian to start. I hear Rafa's playing later today or tonight, or I guess it's, it's the daytime over in Australia. Let's see. Spencer says, I think he's talking about the two-hander versus the one-hander. We had the regional SoCal junior team tennis hosted at our club. It's amazing to see the JTT grow. It was great seeing the kids having fun, and the level was very high. I think the team aspect at a young age in tennis is great for sport. Wanted to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so all of the, all of the, the leaders in the industry, starting with the USDA, are, are, they are in agreement with you, Spencer. They want to make tennis more fun. And one of the ways to do that is through team events. And I think it's a great idea. It's really good. I, I hope we don't lose the essence of tennis. Tennis is a one, What makes, for me, tennis so great is that it's a one-on-one battle. It's a lot like martial arts. It's a lot like a fight. And it's tough. It's a tough sport. But, yeah, at the younger ages, another thing that makes tennis great is that that team aspect. Tennis has so many facets. You know, it can be a one-on-one battle. It can be a, a team fight it can be a team competition like you see at the top level with Davis Cup and Laver Cup and all these these events. So I think that is one of the cool things about our sport. I know that that is a unique aspect to our sport that we can you can play one on one. That's that's what I'm drawn to. I love the one on one conflict, you know, the the battle. But there's also a lot more to tennis. There are tennis is multifaceted in that sense. So I think you're absolutely right and the powers in the industry that are trying to make tennis uh team more, more team focused is really good for the younger ages especially. But at some point if kids want to play singles they they're, they're going to have to face the reality that tennis is a brutal cage match. You know, it is. It's it's a battle and it's very tough mentally. So I think that some kids you may lose, like you may introduce the sport to them and they may play they may play doubles and play with a team, but when they realize that that the sport is is pretty tough, they they may not like it. You know, some kids don't like that one on one aspect. They like to have a team around them. But there's always a place for doubles. Doubles is a great part of tennis. And what do most adults play? Most adults play doubles throughout their life and doubles is a big part of high school competition, a big part of college. So, why not? Let's do more team stuff. And let's get the kids who aren't into the singles, let's get them playing doubles and and let's grow the 10th. We'll grow the tennis 10th. That's that's good good thinking, Spencer. Jeremy Malfay says Follow up Chris to my comment on your videos. Yeah, thanks. I wanted to try to answer some questions that viewers had of the of the Prodigy Maker tennis reality show that we did this week. And we did two shows, actually. So he says, I believe coaches work so often on giving their player a typical, easy, low-level rally ball to work on. Yeah, I was trying to understand your question, Jeremy. Let's see. Whatever the stroke technique, and there, of course, is a place for that. However, I think coaches don't work enough on adapting stroke technique, especially when it comes to the endless balls that you can receive. I think it's important to give players different trajectories, especially balls that they don't like. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that. I think when you're trying to build muscle memory in terms of myelination and you're trying to get the stroke automated, that it's very important to give the player a perfect ball so that they can automate the the technique faster. I think when you can... And that can be live ball or dead ball. I think you're referring to drills from a basket, but let me know. Let let me know what you mean by that, by live or, or or if you mean from a basket. But I think, for example, when a coach can hit a really good ball that's controlled to a player, they can learn the technique faster. In other words, some coaches are kind of erratic. I mean, no offense, but some coaches don't play very well. And so when they try to work technique with a kid and they're doing like some live ball, like a progression, and they just can't keep the, the ball in the kid's strike zone, the kid is going to struggle to learn motorically. It's going to take them longer to learn. Or when you have like a pro, a former pro, a professional player who's teaching and the professional player has such a great control. They're like a ball machine, like a wall. You know, they never miss. And I think when coaches are like that, the kid can learn technique a lot faster because the coach gives them a perfect hit. And so they can my- myelinate the, the the stroke faster that way in, in, within the nervous system in the brain. And that being said, I think what you're saying is a lot of coaches express that, that, it, that there's a point at which you want to change the feeds and change how how you... The different ball that the player receives that 's what you were referring to, so that they can learn to adapt and that 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 becomes important later on. but I think when it 's the opposite when the kids are just learning when they 're in the learning stages of the of the mo- the motor skill, they need a very good easy fee- uh, feed or or hit for them so it depends on the stage of motor learning that they 're in I think it 's a mistake when a player is still learning. Technique from the beginning. Hey honey. How are you? You wanna be on the show? No, no, thank you. That's my wife. She just got back from a long trip. So I think when a kid is 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 not quite there in the automation and if you start randomly feeding balls or hitting a lot of tough balls to them, it's gonna be really frustrating. And I would I would wait, you know, I would wait to do it until until the, the motor skill is more automated. And that's, that's, I think that's how I do it, I, you know, it, also some of it's feel, you have to feel the player and feel what their ability is. If the player is more talented, then you can give them a lot of ver- variety, uh, probably sooner. And if the player is less motorically gifted, like they really struggle, they, you teach them something and they, they lose it, or they have a lot of reversion, they need a, a good ball a good feed or a good ball. And that's where I like hand feeding. You know what's crazy, guys? I had some, some guys online that were telling me they thought hand feeding was a waste of time. And I thought pretty much everyone sort of universally accepted that hand feeding was pretty good in certain situations to help players maybe work on their footwork or work on a stroke mechanic. And... I had some guys tell me that they weren't buying it. I was like, "Wow, you don't think hand feeding is good in some situations?" They were like, "No, you think hand feeding is a waste of time, and and we don't believe it helped any of the Spanish players in, over the you know over the last few decades." And I was like, "What?" Because I've done a lot of a lot of study in Spain. I've been going to Spain for a dozen years now, and that's definitely part of their system there. They do a lot of hand feeding for certain exercises and certain, you know, work on footwork and movement and things like that. And so these, these guys really astounded me. They, they shocked me, actually. They, they, they were arguing with me that hand feeding was useful. So, you know, I know that some coaches think it's, it's a waste because it's not real, because it's not a real ball. But, man, I was shocked. Because you you see hand feeding done on the pro tour with professionals, WTA and ATP, to refine a skill or clean the technique, and you also see hand feeding so frequently with younger kids, you know. And it, it's it's so it's I use hand feeding all the time, and I, I think I'm a pretty good development coach, and I have a lot of success. I have a good track record. I use it all the time, and the kids love it. They they love the especially the communication aspect, where you can. I'm in the middle of my show. What are you doing over here? I'm so sorry. I drove four hours straight without what, stopping. What, what, what was that? I literally drove four hours straight without stopping so I could put the kids to bed. So oh. I have to eat some Okay. What, what are you making? Like some beans <laughs> or something? I don't know, Chris. I didn't eat. I didn't eat some new <laughs> That's okay. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. How was I talking about? Hand feeding? I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought You're with the with kitchen. the beans. You're making the beans. In the kitchen. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. The... the the hand feeding, what's, what, makes, what I think is so great about hand feeding is not even that, I mean, you can debate whether it's, it's not, a, not a realistic ball or whatever. I guess it's not as realistic as a racket feed, but the communication is so good. You don't have to yell. You don't have to raise your voice. You can just talk quietly with a player and, and share ideas. The, the, the communication is so open when you're hand feeding because you're standing right there with a the player. I think it's, it's so great from a communication point of view and also, when you're working on technique, it, it's better because you're so close, you're, you're right up close to the player where you can see their grip, you can see their swing path, you can see everything very clearly, rather than from 80 feet away. It's very hard sometimes to see what's going on if you're feeding from far away. Even for me, I have a very good eye. I'm a technician. And sometimes if I'm far away from a player, I, I, I don't see it as well as I could. And that's where I think hand feeding has some real benefits. But these guys were telling me no. And I explained to them that they use it in Spain all the time. Historically, it's been a big part of the Spanish system. They said, no, Chris, we don't believe that. We're not buying it. I was like, okay. I, I guess that's your point of view. You're entitled to it. All right, we see some, some friends on the program. We got, we're, we're chilling Sunday night here. Let's see what we got. Jeremy, send me a follow-up on the, the the different random feedings and trajectories. Maybe I'll I'll try to add to it. Robert Garrett says, "My buddy Robert, what's up, buddy?" Isner versus Opelka is on right now. Wow! <laughs> How many rallies in on that one? I bet not many of those points going over four balls. Ha ha! Just giving you a hard time. Yeah. Well, I really think that. When when you got guys like that, when you're mixing those guys into the data, you're gonna come up with a lot of short ball ra- short ball rallies. You know, There's, they're not gonna be a lot of grinding when you have when you have that kind of style player. And we're seeing more and more guys who are big guys with huge serves. Everyone's serving hard now. Everyone's serving pretty well. And I think that that more than anything is what you see in the data. You, you see. You see a good some good rallies over you know say between five and ten. You see some some long rallies from time to time. We're we're doing some research to see if some of those long rallies come at critical junctures. But you you definitely see it. I would never say you see a majority of long rallies over ten. But yeah, I would say the the you got a a, a good chunk of rallies between let's say five and twelve shots. And then I think with the data it's. You see a lot of data under 5 because everyone's serving so well. It, it to me it's as simple as that. You have a lot of big servers, you have a lot of big dudes and and girls ripping serves, you know? And that when when you hit an ace or a service winner, that's going to skew the data very low in terms of the first the first four shots. You know the recommendations and the, and the the research there. So, you know, I I, I want to explore that data a lot more, and I'm interested in in how it relates to the game styles that are playing and things like that. So, yeah, imagine the, the Isner-Opelka battle. That's going to be a lot of short rallies, and when the those types of matches are factored into the hole, when when they when they're included in the aggregate, that's gonna bring down the entire average uh tour wide, you know, and, and on and you know in in a microcosm and in, in just a match or a match here or a match there, when those players play against maybe a grinder, it's gonna when you do the averages, it's gonna make that match look like a lot it's gonna make that it's gonna make it look like the rallies are not as important as they really are because for the guy on the other side of the net the, the grinder it's very important for him but for for Opelka or Isner it, the you know for them it's all about serving and holding and everything's going to be wham bam everything's going to be first strike for those those guys and when you average it out and you say oh you know the the the, the rallies are all under four shots in this match well and and, and then you say well so that, therefore we should teach that to young kids, I think that that's it's just a poor conclusion because for the the little grinder across the net, it's very important that the rallies go long. He would like to make it go longer. She would like to make it go longer. But he or she getting aced and you know dealing with a huge cannon, and so they're they're not able to do that. But yeah, it depends on the player and the style. If if you have a big kid in front of you who's going to serve like Isner, uh, absolutely want to train. First strike and and you're not gonna grind as much with a player like that. You know, just I just think there's there's so much to unpack in that data. I want to know how the data is collected and, and whether it's accurate in terms of sample size and things like that. But I also want to know what we what do we glean from the data? How do we ta- you know, whatever they whatever the statistics tell, what are they what are they really telling us in terms of how to coach, especially young kids? I care about young kids because I I coach all the little prodigies, all the little young, you know, 10 and under, 12 and under. I'm the prodigy maker. I got to know, I I should know what I'm talking about. If I'm working with all these young kids, I don't want to be training them with skills that are not going to help them later on. That's for sure. All right, Jeremy says, sorry, I accidentally pressed send. No problem. Teaching the different techniques. So you're following up on that previous comment, Jeremy. said, teaching the different techniques, especially for the forehand, It's important to build a player's tactical options and quality of shots. My question, I guess, is what are your thoughts on the importance of technical adaptation? What I think you should do is play with your students. To me, that's where they learn technical adaptation. I guess I'm not a huge fan of feeding for adaptation. And I've seen a number of high-level coaches present on that. And they say, you know, you never want to feed it the same way. I've seen it at a lot of conferences, but... So Jeremy, you will hear this theme frequently, you know, this motif that you want to mix up your feeds all the time. And I just think it's a little bit misguided depending on the player, like I said, depending on their motoric talent. The players who are less motorically gifted, they need the same exact feed. They need to develop that automation. They need help. They need help. And if you give them a lot of random stuff, they're going to be so lost and they're just not, they're going to get so frustrated and they're, they're going to struggle. So, so I, I, it depends on the player. And what I like to do is I don't like to live, I don't like to dead ball feed with a lot of variation. I like to play. I, I play with my students and that's where I, I try to work on the, the adaptation with them. Also, if you want to develop players who adapt their technique very well, I highly recommend playing on clay. I think playing on clay is one of the best things you can do to develop technical adaptation. Because you get bad bounces, the ball kicks up, shoots up, and players are slipping and sliding a lot, and they, they have to work – they. Always develop good technical adaptation. Players who grow up on clay, that's one of the advantages of growing up on clay or playing on clay frequently. You don't have to play in it all the time, but you know, let's say 50-50, half and half, like they do in Spain now. Most of the Spanish academies are 50-50 now. And when you when you play on clay, you you naturally develop that technical adaptation. And that's one benefit that I don't hear talked about very often when people talk about the benefits of clay. There are a lot of benefits of playing on clay, but that's one that I think is really underrated because you will get a lot of shaky bounces, you will catch balls laid, the ball will jump different ways, and, and players learn to develop their move their wrist and hand to adapt. And hopefully they learn to move their feet better as well. That's that's the other big benefit to clay. You get better movers. But you get better movers with the feet and you get better adaptation with the hand. Or hands, so send me a follow up. I'll try to answer the best I can, best of my ability. Let's see, Michael Furman is watching. What's up, Michael? My online business manager. What's up, buddy? How are you? Cromwell Teves is watching. A new, new, new viewer. Great to have you, buddy, Cromwell. Great name. Love it. All right, we got some comments. Love the show. Thank you guys. I appreciate the support. We're having kind of a chill Sunday night. We're talking technique. We're talking first four shots, tactics. We're talking anything you guys want. Throw it at me. I've got a little more time with you guys, and then I've got to get to bed early because I've got to work my EMT ambulance shift tomorrow. I've got two days coming up on the ambulance. I'm a driver, and I'm an EMT for the city of Hoboken, and that's my volunteer work. I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of that service. And I've got some two big days coming up tomorrow. I do two days a month minimum. Those are my shifts. So Monday and Tuesday, guys, I may not be that busy online the next couple of days. I'll be working on the ambulance, driving the ambulance. So if you don't hear back from me immediately, try to wait till Wednesday or Thursday and I'll I'll be back, back in the saddle again. But when working on the ambulance, it's, it's quite stressful because you're always on call. You, could get a, you can get a 911 call any time, and you never know when you're going to be called out. And you have to, within a moment's notice, you have to jump into the rig and, and drive to the scene. And you, you, you know, every call is different. Every call is, a, number, is a, a surprise. And you have to be ready for anything. You go from zero to 100 in, in no time. So it can be quite stressful working on the ambulance, but also very rewarding, and you help a lot of good people. Barry Buss is watching. Thank you, Barry, for tuning in. I believe you've tuned in before. I appreciate it. Erwin Bebe Bantavo is watching. Thank you for waving, guys. Larry Klein is watching. Thank you for waving. Florin Barbu is watching. Thank you for waving, guys. Appreciate it. We're talking technique on a Sunday night. Chilling. Chilling in my kitchen. Sammy has decided to... Let's see. There he is. I don't know if you can catch that, but Sammy is just snoozing. Just no help today for me from Sammy. Jim Kane says, "Let's see what he's got. What we got? Oh, this is a long thought." Jim Kane says, "John Wooden, being one of the first full-court zone press, so many, including me, copied the two-two-one press. Jim was a basketball coach, I think." Okay, so Jim's talking about the next generation forehand and with the inverted racket follow-through. Yeah, Jim, so that, that is me. I'm promoting that more modern forehand. and In my opinion, I think it is the future. And I just think coaches should accept that the stiff follow-through to the shoulder is, is gone, it's dead, it's over. Just let it go, people. Stop teaching it that way. You don't need to teach it that way. It's time for the future. And the future is parabolic. Like Jim is saying, the future is elasticity. You want to have elastic, loose swing mechanics. You know, the arm and the arms should be loose depending on the stroke. And you're looking for that circular parabolic shape to the swing path. You're teaching a... All the stances, not just a close, kind of like a stiff, blocked, closed stance. You're, you're teaching semi-open. You're teaching explosion. You're teaching the rotation of the body. You know, I just think we should teach all this stuff. And I think it's silly that we teach technique from, that's very outdated. And we insist on teaching it to all the beginners in the sport. I saw a coach today teaching an adult that way, and I was just shaking my head. I was like, man... Even if that adult learns that, it's suboptimal technique, and she's never going to have time to relearn that technique. Just, just teach it the right way, the modern way, the, the better way, right away. Teach it early on so that the players have it for life and that they don't have to relearn that thing. You know, that, that's basically where I come from. And so I developed all a whole method to teach the modern parabolic swings, and, and to develop the elasticity, I have a whole sort of system of progressions that I do for that. And so I've been promoting it. You know, I don't think it's like the cure for cancer. You know, I, I don't think it's uh, so – I don't even think it's that innovative, to be honest with you. It's just you look at what players are doing on tour, and I think we should teach like that. It It doesn't take – I don't think it takes a genius to see that. But people are shocked, and people can't believe that I'm teaching – what the pros are doing to young children. Obviously, with some modifications because they're little kids, it has to be taught in a safe, healthy way. But primarily, kind of teaching what you see with the next-gen players coming up on tour, you teach that to young children right away. You can teach that to beginners. You can teach it to anyone with a good system. And I think I have a good method for that. So Jim's referring to that, and he's, he's saying maybe maybe more coaches will start catching on. I I think that's what's going to happen, Jim, because I'm going to keep producing the videos. And there's a lot of naysayers right now. And they see the initial videos that are quite rough around the edges with, and I don't mean the production value, although the production value could be much better. But I mean with the players themselves. They're just learning. But watch what's going to happen. As you as you see those players get better month, month over month, and if you look, ahead a year or two years, I'm going to have these kids, and you're going to see the evidence that the method works very well, because the kids are going to have these amazing technical games six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, and it it will all be documented on our YouTube channel, and we'll have a playlist showing how I did it week in and week out, or month to month, and I think when you see that evidence, people will be more inclined to Start teaching their kids in that novel way, call it radical if you want I don 't think it's that radical to be honest because it's the way everyone's playing i don't think it's that innovative or radical. I think it's bizarre if you if we just took a step back and we look at the tennis world from you know a twenty thousand feet perspective it's to me very bizarre how we teach the strokes we teach strokes that are that are old school techniques that, that players don't really use anymore. We teach that to all the beginners. We teach that in red, orange, green, which I think is completely wrong to teach that to young kids. And we teach it to all the adults who come in. I just think we should teach tennis the way it's played at the high level. And you see these two differing tracks. There's like two tracks. You have like the traditional style and then you have the modern style. And I just think, why, do we, why are we teaching traditional? I don't, I don't buy it. And I don't. I I think it's an anachronism. It's out of place in our time. It's outdated. And I think if I can show people on our YouTube channel how it's how you can do it in a safe and healthy way, I think that people it will start to catch on. People will start doing it. People will start seeing that that oh yeah I see how Chris is doing it and and I can do this with my students. I can do this with my adult students. I can do this with with children. It's it's not that crazy. And Chris is getting good results with that. And he has a whole progression, a very simple method and progression for teaching strokes like that. And it works. It works very well. I just, that's all I'm saying. I think it's a better way. I'm not saying it's the only way. And that is my goal, Jim. My goal is to try to transform the way people teach technique. But I, I can only do it little by little, and I have to show the evidence. And the evidence that I have are, are the, the video documentation of how those kids are improving as the, as the year goes on. We just started this a few months ago where we're filming all the players. We have this cool playlist show that we call Extreme Tennis Makeover. So we're following one little boy who is 11 or 12, and and we're completely renovating his strokes and so in the beginning it's quite rough it's quite jarring to maybe see his his first initial forays into this new modern technique but as the months go on and as he as he becomes more skilled i think players and coaches who see it will be will buy into it more if that makes sense okay i'm trying to get to some of these extra comments here angel lopez is watching the legend from california what's up angel How are you, buddy? Thanks for waving. appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Angel is a very well-respected coach in California. Mark Gonzalez is waving. Sometimes we get some big shots tuning into the show. And as the show grows, I hope we can get some more enlightened guests on the program. You know, we've had some, some pretty big names pop in from time to time on this Sunday show. I appreciate any comments. If you guys have any thoughts, let me know. Jimmy Morales is waving. Robert Garrett says, love the show. Robert, I love your show too. Robert runs a, a podcast called Payers and Players. Guys, I'm going to throw that shout out to you guys. Payers and Players. Check it out. It's, I think, the best new podcast on iTunes right now for tennis, and especially for junior tennis. If you guys like, are interested in junior tennis or, or, or player development, man, those guys are doing an awesome job, and... It's fun for me because that's my specialty. That's what I do. I, I work with young prodigies. I work with young children under ten, under twelve, and under fourteen. this is what I love, and so that that program and and Robert and Scott are, are, are I think we're, we're becoming buddies because we have just similar interests. You know, we, we love junior tennis. We love technique. We love player development, and so we're just we have we're kindred spirits in that sense. Mark Hansen is watching. Thanks for waving, buddy. Ariella Zagorsky is watching. What's up, Ariella? That's my old student. How are you? Send me a shout out. Let me know where you're at. Are you in college? Or are you still, still playing high school ball? We used to train for many years. Hope things are going well. Chandresh Kumar is waving. Thanks for waving. Michael Furman says, great. Das Das is watching. Got a lot of regulars tuning in. It's kind of a chill Sunday night, guys. We're chilling in my kitchen. Sammy is sleeping. You know the deal. Not not a very productive co-host here. I'm pulling the load tonight. It's my dog, Sammy. Matthias Polanski is waving. Thank you, Matthias or Matthias. My wife is... She's, she's whispering to me sub-rosa here. She's... Like off camera, giving me advice about the show. What are you saying, honey? Are you saying that I'm not talking enough tennis? Talk about tennis. They want to talk about tennis. <clears throat> she's whispering to me, Sub Rosa, and she's saying, "She's saying, stop babbling. Talk tennis." It's like this is my life. This is this is. But I got the old ball, got the old ball and chain here. She's just got the old ball and chain. The 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 nag. She just she she. she, she but even on my own program, I mean, I can't even have my own show without. Lit- I got to hear the critique, Kim. Even on my own program, I can't get away. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just. Kidding. My wife's not a. She's not a, my ball and chain. She's my sweetheart. All right, I'm going to talk about tennis now. All right, let's see what we got. John Logan Minier, Minier tennis. John, you're my buddy, my big supporter of the show. I'm teaching young kids the same way. I'm still learning, but I'm definitely doing the same. I'm telling my wife the same things you are saying now. <laughs> are you telling her that she's an old, an the ball and chain? Don't say that. Don't say that. You'll get into trouble. The way that teaching the young kids is showing to be extremely successful already, I'm pumped to see how my kids develop. All right, sounds like John is teaching kids some of this modern stuff that I'm talking about? That's cool, John. Try to, maybe you could document some of that and, and shoot me some video. I'd love to see it. Maybe take a few clips and send it to me because I would like to get more support for this method and the way that I'm doing technique for young children, and I would love to see it grow. And I'm going to prove that it works because I'm going to video all my students doing it over the course of the year. Critics be damned. You know, I'm getting panned. There's a lot of haters and naysayers out there, but I know it works so I've done it. Yeah, I've been doing this for years and I know it works well and I'm not perfect. There may be some steps or progressions that could be better. There may be some parts of the technique that I could, maybe some of you guys out there think of a, a an innovative drill that I haven't thought of, but I'm basically throwing out all my all, all that I do with the young children and... I'm looking for feedback. I'm looking for comments, hopefully constructive comments. And I'm looking for people to adapt what I'm doing to their players and in their situation back home. And I, I really do think it will take off eventually. I've just got to keep at it. I've got to keep plugging away and keep producing the videos. And and that's where I've had so much help from my business manager, Michael. He's helping us produce all the videos. You know, it's it's not easy to produce these videos every week. To get the content, to put it up on YouTube, to make sure that the 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 sound is working, we have a lot of trouble with the sound, you know. So I, I it is a, a labor of love, but I think it's also good. It's, obviously, it's good for my business, it's good to promote to promote my brand. But I also think we can help more children learn the game better because I think it's a better way to teach young kids. All right, let's see, Jeremy's. Spicer Spicer is watching. Thank you, Jeremy. Sorry I messed up your name there. Thanks for waving. Appreciate it. Tim Bain is watching. What's up, Tim? Got some big names on the program. I will not be going to PTR this year. I would be happy to go again in another season and speak again because I think PTR, I like the family vibe there from the PTR. It's nice. I feel like there's a very supportive environment, Very, a lot of kind people, and, and you, you feel like part of a family there. I, I like the PTR very much. I, I'm also affiliated with USPTA, but this year I won't be there. I actually have a workshop that I'm, I'm holding in, in Vermont at my club, so we're doing a two-day workshop. It just happened to be on the same week. Just I, I didn't plan it that way, so I have a conflict. We're doing a very exciting workshop in Vermont on technique and building prodigies. That's actually the title of the workshop. It's a two-day intensive coaches workshop. Guys, if anyone wants to come up and do that, let me know. I already have a bunch of sign-ups for that, and I think it's going to be full of intelligent discussion. We're going to be in the classroom. We're going to be on the court. I'm going to bring up a lot of my little superstars for the workshop. So that there will be a lot of players there for a demonstration and players there that coaches can work with. A lot of young, talented players, dare I say, prodigies. It's going to be really cool. And I'm going to talk about my technical method. I'm not going to say this is the only way to teach it, but I'm, I'm going to lay out the, the, the progressions that I use. And then coaches can actually teach any technique they want within those parameters. So the method that I'm using... There's the actual techniques, but there's also just the way that you teach the techniques. And I think that the way that I'm doing with the progressions, you go from hand feeding, and then you go to a very soft live ball, and you you vacillate. You you work back and forth between hand feeding and live ball. And I think it's a very efficient way to teach technique, regardless of, of what technique you want to teach. If you want to teach follow through over the shoulder, if you want to teach like the 1980s, be my guest. But the way that I do it, with the method that I do it, I think is very efficient and fast. And it starts with hand feeding. That's why I was shocked when those coaches said hand feeding is a waste of time. It never works. It never contributed to Spanish success. That's, that's not true. That's not true. And hand feeding is a big part of my technical system with the young kids. You know, we, we, we started with hand feeding and I try to jump the lie ball. Basically, that's how we do it. We go from hand-beating and we jump to live ball to save time, rather than do a a number of other progressions from there. And if the player's struggling in live ball, you go back to hand-feeding, you vacillate back and forth. And one of the tricks is, in live ball, you use a chip shot. You chip the ball very soft with a little backspin, and that helps the player learn. So that's a big part of my method, is the way that you feed it, the way that you In lie ball, the way that you hit it, it has to be done with a very good control and with a little soft underspin chip shot. And I found that I can get really good, fast, technical results that way, regardless of what technique you're trying to get. It doesn't really matter what technique you're trying to teach. It's more about the steps that you take, the progressions that you use to quickly speed players along. Mark Hansen says, what are you doing as far as athletic development? Do you mean with young kids, Mark? So... With young kids, I I like to see them playing another sport for cross-training. Maybe you could be more specific. I like to work on their ABCs, which are agility, balance, coordination, and speed. I think that the kids who come to me tend to be very athletic kids because I'm known as a competition coach. You know, I prepare kids for competition. So generally, the kids that come to me are already playing multiple sports. They are pretty athletic. I would say they're probably on on this farther right side of the bell curve in terms of athleticism and and talent. If you want, you know talent is a it's tricky to define talent, but so I I think they already have that they they've been they come from athletic families where their parents are doing a lot of athletic stuff with them. But for me the the biggest things are the agility, the movement and agility, so the kids have to have good like I said, the, the ABCs in terms of movement, agility, balance, coordination, and speed, that to me is a really big one. And that's something they focus on in Spain in, in a big way. And I like to see players who have a really good arm. And that comes from good old American tennis and good old Americans, the good old American pastime of baseball, for example, throwing a ball. So for me, uh, two big ones right off the bat for athletic development are the, the movement the agility and the coordination and the feed and the balance and being able to throw very well so that's throwing a football, throwing a baseball, throwing whatever but I want kids to throw a lot that doesn't have to I don't mean on the tennis court. I mean just in general whether they're throwing a football with dad or they're they're playing some some baseball or pitching. Pitching is great for any player who, who I've had who did a lot of little league and they were pitcher. They always have a good serve or a football player, you know, any, anyone like that. So those are like two big ones off the top of my head. If you have any specifics in terms of what you're looking for in terms of athletic development, let me know and I'll, I'll follow up. Scott Groth or Growth is waving. Sorry if I mispronounced that, Scott. I know you're a regular. I apologize. Collins Abamu CFT is waving. Thank you, Collins. Thanks for waving. Jim Kane says, hear that Emilio is taking your place at PTR in February. Yeah, I probably got bumped by Emilio. But he's he's a legend, what can I say? He's great and he's a great speaker. And I'm actually I, I'm friends with Emilio and I think he does a great job. What can I say? If you're gonna get bumped, that's not a not a bad guy to get bumped from by, you know? His his title. His title of, of his presentation is Hard Work Beats Talent When Talent Doesn't Work Hard. I know you love that, Jim. And it's true, right? Hard work does beat talent, but I think only when talent doesn't work hard. I think it's a myth that, I know there's a lot of books maybe to the contrary, but I think personally that talent can beat hard work. And I know that's that sounds crazy and maybe... Maybe it's a shock to say that, but in many times you can work really hard, you work your ass off, but if the guy is a lot more talented than you across the other side of the net, in my experience, you're probably not going to win. I know that from firsthand experience because I'll tell you guys I'm an incredibly hard worker. I, I I think I can say that honestly. I'm I'm really disciplined. I have the mentality, and I never made it on the ATP. I just don't think I had enough talent. You know, I, I think I have the character and the work ethic, but I, I, I didn't have enough ability. And I see players, I still practice with guys. I'm still playing, you know, lower level pro, like, like Futures Qualies, you know, now it's the World Tour Qualies. You know, I'm a decent player, but never an ATP level player. And I think that I have. I still practice with guys who I, I have amazing talent. And I know that I I have... The work ethic and the, the discipline and the character to be a professional, but I, I'm not sure that's enough. I, I don't think it was enough for me in my personal story, in my journey, and I, I see that a lot with kids that I coach. I think when you tell kids that they can make it, for sure, just based on hard work. I mean, it's it's probably better to err on that side of the of the advice to give the children than the other way, than tell them that you know not going to tell them not to try, but I think there's, there's definitely a limit to what you can do with hard work. You know, that's, that's my, my personal experience. And also, that's what I've seen with, with players who I've worked with as well. You know, hard work is going to get you only so far. You've got to have some ability. Frank Cornido is watching. Thanks for waving. Gordon Paul. Gordon Paul, how'd you sneak onto this program? What's up, buddy? Gordon's coming up to my workshop next month. I'm excited to share ideas with him very smart coach. What about playing other varsity sports? Yeah, but at that age, by the high school age, I'm not really a big fan of multiple sports because I think it takes away from the specialization of tennis. Yeah, some kids do it, but I'm thinking more in the younger ages like under 10, under 12, the the prodigy ages, I like to see one other sport. Not too many because if you start playing too many sports, you you lose the The tennis, you know, it's hard to squeeze it all in. If a kid really wants to play another varsity sport in high school, it's going to hurt their tennis. You know, and I know there are some examples of some top players who have done that. I think Robert Garrett featured one of those players on his podcast recently. I think it was J.J. Abrams. Is that right, Robert? Was it? Was it? Was it? A- I forgot the guy's name. He played soccer really competitively, competitively through the USDA Junior Tournament years. Maybe you can, it, Robert, if you're on, maybe you can let me know, remind me. But you know, I, I think it, it's really going to hurt the, the tennis if a kid's playing a lot, a lot in another, another sport. It's just, it, it's bound to. But that, that's my take on it. In the younger years, I love it because it's good, it's healthy, and it develops a good athleticism but as the kid starts to progress older to me it becomes more of a maybe even a red flag it becomes a concern for me because i want i want the kid to specialize and be the best tennis player they can be that's that's what that's what they're that's what i'm paid to do i'm paid to make kids the best in tennis that that i can you know that I, that's my job is to try to make them the best tennis player they can be and if they're playing another sport if, if the sport is taking a lot of time from tennis training That's usually not, not a good thing. And the sports that my players do play, sometimes they play soccer, sometimes they do cross country. I like cross country a lot, but it's just a matter of balancing it all. And the kids are so jammed. Maybe it's also from my perspective here in New York, the kids are so jammed for time here in New York. They just don't have time to do a lot of other extracurriculars. They're barely able to get tennis and their homework done. And there's just not a lot of room for another sport that, that's my take on it, whether that's a sad thing or not. I don't know. All right, any other questions, guys? I'm enjoying this chill Sunday evening. I am going to have to go sleeping night-night soon because I got to get ready for the big ambulance shift tomorrow, first thing in the morning. If you have any uh, further technical questions or follow-ups, let me know, or else I'll I'll start to begin a little wrap-up. But... Have you guys seen the reality show that we did this weekend on on YouTube? If not, please go check it out. We have the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. Everything is free there, and we have some really unique stuff on the YouTube channel. I, I hope more people will go there and subscribe and share because I think it's a great, great resource. Maybe I'm biased. We have my reality shows that go up every week. Those are live shows. And we have this show. It gets archived. We have all the shows that I do on Sunday night. The Q&A talk show is there. And we have numerous clips of me teaching, doing different exercises. We have lots of Spanish exercises, a lot of good information. I think it's a great resource for coaches and parents and players. So... Hopefully you guys appreciate that. It does take a lot of time to keep a good YouTube channel going. I don't think people realize how much time and and what it takes to keep a YouTube channel you know alive and 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 to keep the the content there organized and to make sure it's all uh, available for, for the viewers, you know, and, and to be able to put it up regularly. So it's, it's a lot of work. So we do that for free for you guys. I hope you like it. Gordon Paul says, we got a workshop next Monday. Thanks for plugging the workshop, Gordon. Does anyone want to come to our workshop next Monday? It is on a holiday, the 21st. I think it's Martin Luther King Day. And you're welcome to come up and train with me. We will have, actually, Gordon, we have a lot of cool, cool participants in that workshop, we have some parents of mine who have who are bringing up their little prodigies, by the way. So that'll be fun. We have some parents in the workshop. Not only coaches, we have some parents too. So it's going to be a lot of fun to get their perspective. And you know what I always say, I think parents are oftentimes the the smartest coaches. I think coaches can learn a lot from parents. And in my experience, I have learned a lot from parents. And the parents that I work with are incredibly intelligent and successful and I try to learn as much as I can from them now not always there are some parents who are a little bit off the reservation they they may not have the insight they may be a, they may be missing some some knowledge they may not have the education but by and large the majority of the parents that I work with I've learned so much from and I think that many times the parents are smarter than the coaches and I think that's quite true in our business. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of coaches who are not that bright, and they're not curi- curious. They're not, they don't have a growth mindset. They're not always trying to get better. And there's no doubt in my mind that a smart tennis parent who's passionate and who's curious and who's inquisitive and wants to always learn will outshine most of the coaches in our industry. And maybe that's a sad statement, but I just think it's a fact. And also, I think parents are the most passionate advocate for their child. they're the most dedicated coach they they want there's no doubt about their motivation for their child. so I just think there's so much to learn from parents also sometimes parents come from a different industry they're outside of the world of tennis. they might come from medicine, they might come from the field of law, they might come from business, and they might bring a very unique take on a, a subject or the way you're training a kid. And I've learned so much from parents who, who look at what's happening on the court from, from a, a totally different angle. And I think that we should try to learn from parents that way. And so often the parents are just shut out of the process. The parents are poo-pooed. The parents are kicked out. The parents are are not valued. So that's one of the things I, I teach to young coaches who come and study with me I try to tell them, learn from the parents. Don't just teach the parents or think that you know everything and you're going to educate the parents. Educate yourself by the parents. Learn from the parents. And learn especially about the child. No one knows their child better than a parent who's spending all the time with them. Also, parents have so much of an impact on their child that you know coaches need to work with parents to try to get the best results for the player. Many times... Coaches don't involve the parents. They don't work with the parents. They don't utilize the parents to help develop the player. And I think that's also very often a mistake. So Brian Haas watching. Thanks for waving, Brian. I know you're a regular. Thanks for tuning in. We're wrapping up. I was telling everyone about our cool YouTube channel. I would like to mention our school, clta.teachable.com. Check it out. It's free to join. The courses there are not free. But I think they're really good high quality courses you can go there and study directly with me you have a hybrid training you can study the courses online and then follow up with me via email and text or whatsapp and I think it's a great way to learn And I'm waiting for more and more people to discover the courses that we have there so right now we only have a footwork course but we're gonna have more courses Uh, we're starting we have a new one coming out on the forehand I know there's a lot of interest in the forehand, but you know I have for example some uh, some parents who I'm helping from Australia and from Turkey, and what I would like to get is a whole crew following me in the online school a, a crew of players, a group of players who I'm helping especially with their parents back home, helping them learn world class technique and we'll start with that we'll start on the technical side but I would like to build up the, the the number of players who I'm working with online in a hybrid capacity. It's, it's not just pure online, it's online and also offline, so it's a blended learning. The, you can follow all my instruction online and learn all the drills that you have to do, but then offline you get to have follow-up and I, I do video review and we can uh, discuss uh, the progress with me personally. So I think that's something really cool that we're doing. Also, if you, guys, if you guys haven't been there, go to ProdigyMaker.com. ProdigyMaker.com is uh, my blog, and it's where I post all of my articles, all of the writing that I'm doing, and there's a lot of amazing free content there, everything free. We have no ads either, no ads on ProdigyMaker.com either. So guys, I appreciate the, the show tonight. It was chill was a good show we're talking a lot of technique and i'm gonna try to do uh, one reality show one or two reality shows this week but i don't think we'll be we'll be here next sunday i'm sorry to say i will be driving to the workshop in vermont we have the workshop coming up next monday and the workshop is advanced spanish drills it's a one day of all advanced innovative spanish drills. so i'll be doing that next monday If you're around the the Northeast United States, let me know if you'd like to come for that. We would love to have you. Have a bunch of coaches and parents come to that. And so I don't think we'll have this show next Sunday. I will miss you guys. We'll take a week off and I'll be back the following Sunday with some scintillating conversation and talk. But I really appreciate you guys supporting the show. Please give me the thumbs up. Please share with friends. And go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're trying to build up that community. Thank you, guys. God bless. Have a good week of training and coaching.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. You can find archives of all Chris's shows at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt or search Chris Lewitt on YouTube. You can watch the live video broadcast of this program weekly on Sunday nights where you can ask questions and comment in real time on Facebook Live. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the live show. Please share our programs with friends and join our online community. You can join Chris Lewitt's Online Tennis Academy at clta.teachable.com or visit chrislewitt.com for more info. Chris's latest published articles and additional video resources can be found at prodigymaker.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.